From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of Connecting with Walt. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. So, Craig, how are you today? I'm not too shabby. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So, so have you recovered from uh, from Don Hahn last week? Oh yeah, interview with him. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, I, I've recovered a little bit emotionally, but mentally, I'm still slightly frazzled. Physically, it never really affected me in any way. But uh, gosh, <laughs> it was. I, I still am in that state of disbelief that it it happened at all. So it's. Yeah. It was just wonderful listening to him talk and having having the chance to have a, a little bit of a longer conversation with him uh, off the record about his his works and some of the things that I really ex- uh, I really respect that he's done and it's it really was just an absolute mm-hmm. dream. He was the nicest person. He is, you know, you, when you and I were talking before the show, it, it's just so nice when people that whose work we admire. Uh, and respect turn out to be as nice as you hope they are. You know, we're talking about, you know, Jody Benson has been to several Diz events, and you you couldn't ask her to be nicer and yeah. sweeter. You know, I, I mean, she's she's sweeter than the, the Little Mermaid is. <laughs> and um, and and to find out that Dawn Hahn is the same way, you know, that, that it's just so nice. Because, you know, you hear stories about other folks you know who are in who are creative and all that and then you hear they're they're just terrible to the people yeah. they work with you know yeah. And, oh yeah um, and that's yeah. and luckily i haven't experienced that yet with anyone uh, in the mm-hmm. disney realm everyone that mm-hmm. that i've met and spoken to has has been just in an absolute uh, wonderful person so mm-hmm. i'm glad that the streak has uh, yeah. has continued really? and and hopefully it will for a very long time with everyone we we uh, bring in this circle because that would just the first time it happens it's going to break my heart. I know, I know. Well, it would be someone we don't like. Yeah, it, well, that that is the caveat. If it's someone I don't necessarily care about, I don't care if they're a complete jerk. So they'll help us. Uh, they'll help us with an episode, and then they'll be forgotten in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so and then i i had fun you know because i was sending out tweezers on our twitter page at connecting walt yeah. to try to give hints you know to people and um like for example you know if folks are wondering okay what was he what hints what he's saying i i wrote you know i don't think i've ever seen craig uh so happy last night as we interviewed our guest this week he was actually dancing with his corn dog well actually because in january 1999 um hyperion books published don's book on creativity that was called dancing corn dogs in the night so that that was your first clue. Yeah, it's clever. And, 
Yeah, I, I thought so. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I wrote later on, I must say Craig was quite drawn to this week's guest on Connecting with Walt, but he kept his head on top of the water. Of course, that was uh, hints about um, animation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not only that Dawn, of course, worked in anim- works in animation, but also our topic was about, you know, Walt's nine old men, uh, the, his top animators. And also, of course, Head on Top of the Water, reference to The Little Mermaid, and sort of a play on some of the lyrics in, in, in her top song there. And, um, oh gosh, I had one more. And I'm, I'm going through our page here, trying to look for it. Oh, you'll hear some tales as old as time about Walt Disney and his animators on this week's Connecting with Walt. And of course, that's a reference to um, Don's um, film, Beauty and the Beast, that mm-hmm. was the first one nominated. First animated, full-length animated feature nominated in the Best Film category. So uh, so there, there were all your clues as to who our guest was. So, you know, maybe we'll do that again sometime if we have a, 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 a big, big interview. We'll yeah. We'll throw out some yeah, another, clues there. Yeah, so, someone who warrants the anticipation, that is. <laughs> yes. Of course, now anybody that we interview, if we don't... If they're listening to this and we don't put out clues, they're going to think, oh, so they think we don't warrant. Eh? Uh, I'm, I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> so this week, Waltz Park celebrated its 63rd anniversary. So, Craig, how did you celebrate Disneyland's 63rd anniversary? I celebrated it in the only way that I really could. Um uh, just because Tuesday was a hectic day for me, but I still made sure to wear a Disneyland t-shirt, and uh, I was the first person to say happy birthday to Disneyland when we were recording our uh, Tuesday Walt Disney World Edition show. But yeah, that's that's about all I had time for. Usually I like to, to pop on my uh, Walt Disney uh, Treasures box set and and watch one of the, the episodes on Disneyland, but... Just ran out of time this year. Didn't get to it, but uh, that, that's fine. I can watch those any time of the uh, any time of the year. It doesn't have to be right on Disneyland's birthday. It just it's a little extra special when it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Tuesday was hectic for me. Um, I was wearing a Disneyland shirt, and um, and then I did in the in the beginning of the day. I watched a few videos. You know, Walt's uh, you know dedication to the park. And Diane Disney Miller talking about what she remembers about her father and, and, and the, the, his planning up to the park and opening day and things. And I posted that on connect, at Connecting Walt. And, uh, and so I, I listened to a few of those um, kind of videos, watched the, uh, some of those videos on YouTube yeah. from, you know, from back in the day yeah. on that, that, that fateful day that Walt dedicated the park. So that was fun to do so a couple of years it's the 65th anniversary so we'll all have to gather gather together on july 17th I and know. celebrate you may recall that back in october 2018 i was part of a special trip to japan and china on a specially designed adventures by disney trip designed by our own kevin close of dreams unlimited travel 
On my lengthy trip report, I talked about the details and care the Imagineers put into creating Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. I also believe Tokyo Disneyland rivals the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, and if there were a bit more English, I would prefer Tokyo Disneyland over the Magic Kingdom. Now, prior to the trip, a Connecting with Walt listener who's also a Tokyo Disneyland cast member, reached out to me and offered to meet up and show me some of the highlights of the park. So on a drizzly Tokyo evening, Emil and I enjoyed exploring the park. And I'm very happy to welcome Emil to Connecting with Walt to tell us what has been happening at the Tokyo Disneyland Resort and what we can look forward to as Disney fans in those parks. So Emil, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank you very much, Michael. So we're very happy to connect with you again. And so now I'm curious now what I always like to find out from our guests. What how did you become a Disney fan? What inspired you? Well, uh, it's actually fun because um, I know both you and uh, Craig are on Instagram. And uh, over the last couple of days here, there's like this, um, for, for listeners to know, uh, there's this new type of question thing you can do on Instagram. And I actually got this exactly question uh, yesterday. And it made me think about the whole story with me and Disney that goes way back to my childhood. And when I was a kid, I used to go to the, of course, as many other kids go to the cinema with their parents to watch Disney movies. But there was actually a very big tradition in uh, in my household, and I collected these uh, McDonald's figures with Disney. So I, I very quickly became a, a Disney collector with these uh, Happy Meal toys. And moreover, I collected the Disney VHS tapes. And um, it was first when I was a teenager that I went to a Disney park, and then I really decided that Disney was something more than just, you know, a brand. And uh, this visit to a Disney park combined with the release of the Kingdom Hearts games was something that really made me interested in, in, you know, the company and how the story fits together uh, and how the stylization is different from the different periods of the movies. And uh, this was something that I've never experienced before in other movies and in other companies and and it's it's fun how no matter how old you get uh it's actually the older you get the more the more you the more fan you get of disney all my friends is i'm originally from denmark and all my friends from denmark is like huge disney fans it's not uncool to be a disney fan uh, everybody knows the songs. Everybody knows the the stories, and you know the Little Mermaid is a Danish story. So of mm-hmm. course we treasure that very much in Denmark, and um, so it it started very very early with with you know collecting Disney merchandise and going through uh, the whole Disney park period. It became more like collecting Disney art and collecting Disney statues and. Uh, Michael, you know, I told you, I, I'm a huge um, fan of, of the Disneyana, the, all the, the, the big figures and the artwork that they sell in, in Disneyland and Disney World. So it, it took many years for me to realize that I was actually a Disney fan 
Um, and, and, you know, having a, a hobby that has, has so much history and has so many details and so many hidden details is, is very, very uh, big to me. I think that's, that's, that's something that I treasure very much. And, Excellent. Uh, now, <laughs> when I became a teenager, I, I, got, a, I got a job at Disney. Um, and I worked uh, at the Disney store and I worked at Disneyland in California. And now I live in Tokyo and, um, yeah, so it, you know, Disney followed me throughout my years. That's wonderful. And now, so now you're, oh, okay. I have to ask in Denmark, do they like the Disney version of the little mermaid? It's very different from the, I think (laughs) the majority of the people here in Denmark haven't really read the, the original H.C. Anderson novels. So. It's, oh. it's, it's more of the more tragic tales of H.C. Anderson. Oh. I think we changed oh, yes. it to, to read the shorter, more, you know, less gloomy mm-hmm. uh, stories. Yeah, you're right. Uh, most, of the, most of the fairy tales are pretty tragic. I mean, the Grimm Brothers, Grimm Brothers fairy tales are grim. I mean, <laughs> they really are. But so, oh, so now you're from Denmark. And, and so, so how did you end up at Tokyo Disneyland? Well, my my first visit to Tokyo was um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later when I was at the Tokyo Disneyland for the first time with a very special attraction, and I really I don't really remember how I ended up in Tokyo. I think it was you know the whole Japanese period when I was a teenager that was very very big, and and I traveled there alone when I was uh, 16, and just to explore the 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 culture basically i thought it was very interesting and you couldn't get more far away and um it was kind of like untouched uh territory not many people have been to japan and there was a disneyland and growing up in denmark uh seeing all those euro disneyland advertisements with the haunted mansion and stuff like that you know, I kind of hyped myself up to to definitely visit Tokyo Disneyland to go see that. And when I entered, especially Tokyo Disney Sea, on my second visit, I thought this is what I want to do. I wanna I wanna live here. And the only the closest thing you can get to living there is to work there. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Well, and yeah, they those are beautiful parks. We'll talk a little more about those later. But um, they are magnificent. So now what prompted me to invite Emil to join me and Craig on the show was because Emil attended the D23 Expo in Japan. And I thought it would be interesting to hear about the Expo and how it compares with the um, Expo D23 holds in Anaheim every two years. So based on what Emil uh, shares with us and then based on the experiences all of us who have gone to the Anaheim one um, – you know, have experienced. We'll, we'll, we should get an interesting perspective on this. Now, the D23 Expo in Japan was held from February 10th to 12th, 2018. Now, the Anaheim Expo typically has several presentation halls, um, displays by the various business units of the Walt Disney Company and other companies. Um, and there's exhibitions by the Walt Disney Archives and Walt Disney Imagineering and a vendor floor. So, Emil, is this how the expo in Japan was set up, or or were there differences? 
Well, um, I have I haven't been to the to the American Expo, but you know every year I follow it very closely with you know different uh, bloggers on YouTube and and you guys and and but my 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 general I think the general difference is that in Japan they don't really have this big you know uh, convention halls, so the different the different exhibitions and the different uh, things that's going on is is held at the different hotels. Uh, for example, the the Disneyland Hotel and the Miracosta Hotel in front of Disney Sea, and there's a uh, I don't know how to say that amphitheater, amp- amphitheater. Mm-hmm. You know when amphitheater. you sit, yeah, uh, they have that in 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 Maihama where the where um, the resort is located. So it's it's very spread out, and you have like 10-15 minutes to go to every venue. So there's a it's it it it's it feels very spread out, and there's not like a vendor floor, for example. There's, um, I think they could use a little bit more, you know, meeting the artists. There's no like presentations by Imagineers and Pixar panels, and you can't go see John Lasseter and his wonderful shirts talking about what's what's <laughs> new, and you know, I I I need that. That that's something I really you know need, and I think that's if. Americans, D23 fans come to Japan, I think that's what, what they would miss. And there is not like, I, I believe there's a big vendor flow with, with private people also selling Disney art and Disney merchandise and pin trading and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's the highlight for a lot of folks. For, there's a lot of folks that just come and they spend their time on the floors. On the exhibition floors, um, going to the business units, you know, various Disney business units, and going to the vendor floor. And some of them don't ever go into a presentation. You know, they'll go into the archives, they'll go, you know, exhibition, they'll go into the Imagineering exhibition. Those are the two highlights, usually. And um, and that's all they do. So, anyway, so... A lot of people would miss that. Okay. So it's all presentation halls, then, kind of thing. Okay. Well, well, walk us to the expo and tell us, you know, what was offered and what you saw. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's it's very spread out. So in the morning, we had to decide. I went with a very good friend, and uh, we had to decide what we wanted to see. And of course, there's a lot of waiting. So we we went for our magical passes. We got the passes in the morning from uh, from the um, from the ticket booth. Now, what's a magical pass? It's it's just the uh, the I think it's the, the one you have around your neck, the the plastic card with social oh, okay. that gives you admission to yeah, it's an admission pass, yeah. Okay. Um, and we went to first we went into line for the magical shop, the magical store that was called the magical store twenty eighteen that sold the the general line of merchandise for the expo and this is basically just sorcerer mickey stuff there were some bags some medium figures a limited edition record player and there was these um alan menken merchandise because he was doing a concert during the uh, during the expo so this is basically just you know line up for special the special shop and there was a couple of special shops spread out over the expo at the different uh, expo uh, locations and they had like different line of merchandise and and this is i think this is the main thing for the japanese audience to go there and get the merchandise and it's it's 
it, it, it's not the most interesting merchandise. It's towels and keychains and uh, camera straps and stuff like that. It's very basic. And there was a, a, a medium figure of Sorcerer Mickey on a cliff that where the um, the cliff is like sparkling. And it was very nice. I bought that and um, have it in my collection. So I was very happy with that one. Then uh, over the expo, there was an auction as well. So these auctioned items, uh, this auction was going on online, but the, the limited edition items were uh, displayed throughout the expo. So when you exit this uh, special shop, there was a couple of these items um, on display. And it's just basically a couple of animated sales. Um, and there were some figures that I didn't really know what was. Um, not particularly Disney. <laughs> but I think it was, it was used for some kind of Disney record uh, advertisement. So it's it's very limited edition items, one of kind items, and um, it was it was fun to see. But as a collector, um, it was nothing that I wanted. So I was it was a a relief. <laughs> yeah, it helped you with your budget. Yeah. Um, then the next thing we went to was the um, Disney Archive exhibition, and I have seen uh, a couple of live videos before we went there. I can't remember her name. I think her name is Becky, something from the Disney archives. Oh, Becky Klein. E- exactly. Yeah. And she was doing a presentation of this wonderful exhibition of uh, props and, and special stuff from the Walt Disney archives. And uh, we entered there. I think there was a 100-minute wait to get in, even in the morning. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And that, this was held at the uh, Tokyo Disney Sea official hotel, the Hotel Miracosta. I think... Everyone that's went to Disney Sea and know this hotel because this is the hotel you enter under or beneath when you enter the mm-hmm. park, and it's kind of like the the Disneyland Paris entrance hotel where you enter under and you have the the whole view of the park. It's a beautiful hotel, and it was held in the um, in the bridal areas where you normally have um, celebrating uh, weddings. So it's these very elaborate. Uh, big halls with chandeliers and beautiful carpets and it was a very nice place for for hosting this kind of exhibition and um, it starts with with some kind of introduction on a video of the Walt Disney Company and uh, there's a lot of um, Mickey Mouse gears in the first room with different uh, mouse ears and paintings of Mickey original paintings uh, done for each of the opening of, of, of the different parks. So it's kind of like a history of Mickey merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for his birthday, I assume. Yeah, yeah. And there was some very, very old vintage uh, merchandise. So it's re- really cool. Yeah. And then we entered a room filled with uh, name tags for uh, Dave Smith and... Um, there was uh, studio menus from the cantina. I think they used at the studio back in the days. Old studio signs. Um, yeah, different name tags. As I as I said, there was some Mary Poppins gold records. Uh, there was an animator's desk at this room as well. Uh, that should be looking like they were in the in the making of Fantasia with a lot of Fantasia concept art and concept drawings of Chernobog and the fairies and Pegasus and 
stuff like that. So that was very, very nice to set up. I didn't knew I couldn't take pictures in there. So after I was, I had maybe taken 50, 60 pictures, I was told you can't take pictures. So I got all the good pictures of the things you could take pictures <laughs> of. That was very nice. Then there was a, um, the next room was allowed to take pictures in. And this was more like uh, props and costumes from the Walt Disney Company or the, or, or the, um, the, uh, the live action movies. So there was from the new Jungle Book and Alice Through the Looking Glass, uh, Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson, Pirates of the Caribbean, and it, it went all the way back to Rocketeer. Um, so a lot of these costumes were really, really neat to see. I'm a huge Rocketeer fan, and seeing the original helmet and backpack was mm -hmm. just amazing. And uh, it was fun to see because the Jungle Book is mostly CG, but they build these big styrofoam puppets to the actors to integrate with. You know, so there's a big car head and there's a big uh, blue head in styrofoam very poorly painted but it was it was very fun to see what the actors actors is is trying to act with and um in here was of course allowed to take photographs it was very very crowded with all these uh, japanese disney fans who has disney blogs and yeah so um it was it was super amazing and I was very happy to, to, to see this as well. And, and moreover, there was a, a huge display of Haunted Mansion props with the original stretching portraits and uh, the three hitchhiking ghosts and even one of uh, you know, the, the Mark Davis uh, tombstones with says like uh, Grandpa Mark. That was, ah. that was pretty cool, yeah. It's always amazing when you see those costumes and things up close, the amount of detail that is in those costumes and 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 how they you know and, and how they lie and all that because sometimes that doesn't come across on screen and it can and, also uh, be the exact opposite you know when it, it's, it looks super poor you know more of the older props mm -hmm. is is so simple and put together with a glue gun and when you see it up close you can definitely see this maybe have taken 10-15 minutes to to make and that that's also very fun but the contrary, mm -hmm. the Alice through the looking glass props with all the, you know, the golden orbs and the, um, uh, well, yeah, it was very, very highly detailed props. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what else did you see there? Uh, there was a, um, a, a display of Saving Mr. Banks ah. with uh, the carpet bag and some of the props from the movie. It was, a, it was a kind of fun display because they had all the original drawings, the concept drawings, the costume design drawings for the Mary Poppins movie. And in the Saving Mr. Banks movie, you see these, you see these uh, drawings hanging in, in, in the studio board uh, when they're planning the movie. So they took the original Mary Poppins concept design sketches and replicated them for saving mr banks with this some tiny differences and they hang them uh next to each other so you see like mr banks costume mr banks costume from mary poppins pr real production compared to the the fake production that you see in saving mr banks so that was that was uh that was very fun to see that and um yeah Excellent. Okay. Did you were you able to go to any of the presentations? Um, yes, that's actually where we went uh, next. Um, 
there was a store in between. So when we exit the, the this exhibition, there was a small part of um, uh, Disney Legends. So all the, the the replicas of the Disney Legend uh, plaques were there, oh, wow. all the different names with uh, Julie Andrews and and Mark Davis and uh, yeah was there as well. And so when you ex- exit the exhibition, there was another store also with mostly um, Sorcerer, Sorcerer Mickey merchandise. You could, you would have loved that. I know. That's my favorite. I know you sent me some photos and I thought, oh, I really liked all that Sorcerer Mickey. And they had they had the most amazing bath mat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to get that. And there was a lot of Kingdom Hearts merchandise as well uh, because they were going to release a new Kingdom Hearts um game this year so they try to like to to give it some attention but yeah there we regarding the presentation you we had the i think it was called the b ticket it was the um so we we could choose one presentation and you were not sure you could get that presentation so we were giving the uh the voices of disney movies presentation and my friend really wanted to see that so i was i was totally cool with that and um it turned out to be quite fun more better than i expected there was a uh, a short presentation of of the diff- different japanese voice actors doing monsters inc and finding nemo and um they had um they had a girl on stage called uh, natsumi kon who's the Japanese voice of Belle in the live-action Beauty and the Beast, and she gave some uh, examples how you how you 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 act as a, a voice actor. So they 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 ran the the movie in the background uh, on the on the stage uh, without audio, and she was uh, narrating the the movie. And there was a couple of the audience that got to get to the stage and try to to act as the Beast. Uh, in front of her, in front of uh, the real bell, so that was kind of fun. And um, if you if you done that, you you get a present from the Walt Disney Company. It was I think it was a, a, a lucky bag with some Duffy Bears, and it was it was quite nice. And then uh, there was a uh, um, there was a small uh, no. They ended up with um, with another presentation of uh, I think her name is Auli. Uh, the voice of Moana. She was there. Uh, she's native Hawaiian and came there and, and sang in front of the audience. And it turned out to be that she became very close friend with the Japanese voice of the Moana, uh, a girl named uh, Tomona. And they were singing together for the first time on stage. And um, it, I think it was kind of fun because they had such a ni- nice chemistry together and the two moana singing together on a stage was it was it was kind of fun so it was it was definitely better than i expected i said yeah and i saw they had a couple of the voice actors who portrayed um hector and miguel uh, um in coco there too and and the young the, the boys sang remember me i guess in, Ch- in japanese and i thought wow i would have loved to have heard that Oh, that must so, have been a uh, different version because I, I think they ran the show three times. Uh, maybe they changed, uh, you know, the, the name. Oh, the performers. I wish they would do that at the Anaheim one. First of all, when you come out to next year's, you'll find out no matter where an expo is held, there are long lines. I mean, people, as Craig can attest to, people sleep overnight <laughs> in 
in lines oh, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> to get into some of these. So be prepared. But um, but I I I think it's I, I did notice that when I was looking at their schedule that they they repeated presentations and it's interesting that it sounds like they're not the same. There there's slight differences. So I I wish they could do that at for some of the ones that they do in Anaheim that would be interesting thing is that the, the, the presentation everybody wants to see what's the 35th anniversary presentation because that's oh. where they were going to do the first performance performance of the Dreaming Up song with Nikki in his new blue costume for the 35th anniversary and you know the new choreography and all the characters coming on stage so that's the that was the performance everybody wants, wanted to see well, it's interesting to hear about the similarities and differences between our D23 Expo and the D23 Expo in Japan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's okay. uh, I figured that it would be pretty different just because uh, from, you know, I'm not I haven't been lucky enough, of course, to go to the the Asian parks yet. And you're well versed in them at this point. But seeing how uh, Asian guests come and experience Disneyland and Walt Disney World, you can tell that they're they're not interested in necessarily the same uh, the same parts of the Disney fandom that that we're accustomed to. So you can't throw a, an, an event like our D twenty three over in Japan and just be the exact same thing. I just don't think it would resonate with them at all. Mm-hmm. So, but I. It, it does have me intrigued to attend one of them in Japan one day. Mm-hmm. I'll say that much. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, first of all, they have to cart all that stuff over from the archives yeah. in Burbank. And But what was interesting in some of the photos that like um, Emil had sent me and some of the ones that I saw online, they definitely show – they have to – it looks like they have to go a little more into the history – of um, like the studios and of Disney because they didn't necessarily necessarily grow up with that. Yeah. Because, you know, there was a time, uh, you know, all of that just wasn't making it over there for, you know, political reasons, the war, uh, you know, things like that. So I noticed, for instance, they had a whole wall of books, Disney books, most of which are in my library that were that um you know that that they have in the archives but for them they probably have not seen those books like drawn the animation was in there um yeah. you know disneyland the inside story you know you know there were those kinds of books that that we use routinely on this show as references so it it was interesting to see that because um the those probably just didn't those probably were not sold there so, so they have to give them, I think, a a background that maybe we take for granted. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's still cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, here we are. It's it, it's time for this day in Disney history quiz. This time it's for the week of July 21st. We have our returning guest, Willis Ward, who is a listener of the Diz. And so, Willis, welcome back. Well, thank you. Glad to be back. 
So, so Willis, how did you um, discover the Diz? Well, uh, it, I was looking for information actually on Universal Studios in Florida because um, I was going down in 2016 for a big birthday, and and I knew about stuff about Disney from back when I went, you know, in the 90s, and I came across the the Diz Unplugged um, Universal show that Craig and and them were doing. Uh. So from there, it just then you know, snowballed into the rest of the Diz team. And, and it was just, you know, the, it happened right before your 10th, um, your Diz meet for the 10-year anniversary thing, and um, I think for the podcast or whatever, and, and I just fell in love with the group. And so then went to California for the Give Kids the World thing that the Disneyland team did, and then the Diz 20th, and, and you know, just follow y'all on social and watch all of y'all shows. Oh, oh, that's great. I'm, and, and, I'm very and flattered. <laughs> that is flattering. Yeah, you never know how people discover the Diz. So, excellent. And, and of course, you listen to Connecting with Walt. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, I went back and listened to all of your Disneyland 60th and, and a lot of the other um, ones you did previously. So, Oh, excellent. Well, thank you. Well, we're delighted that you're back here um, to challenge Craig with your Disney knowledge. So I'm just going to run through the rules for our listeners. Uh, the way it goes is if you choose to not hear the multiple choice options, you will receive three points for a correct answer. If you choose to hear the multiple choice options, you will receive two points for a correct answer. If you ask me to remove an incorrect option, you will receive one point for a correct answer. And if you correctly answer the question after your opponent answers the question incorrectly, you will receive one point. Now, some questions may have opportunities to earn bonus points. You can earn one point for each bonus question correctly answered. In the event of a tie after the eighth question, there will be a tiebreaker question, and you want to have a pencil and paper at the ready for that. So, Willis, as our guest, would you like to receive the first question or pass it on to Craig? I think I'll, I'll receive first this time. All righty. Okay, for July 21st, good luck here. Um, actor Basil or Basil Rathbone, best known for his film portrayal of Sherlock Holmes, passes away in New York City on July 21st, 1967. What is his Disney connection? And a bonus point is available. Um, I think I actually know this one. Um, so... He was the narrator for the um, the Wind in the Willows Ichabod train, Crane um, sort of package film, at least for the um, the Wind uh, Mister Toad's Wind in the Willows. He was right. the narrator for that. That is correct. The Adventure of Ichabod and Mister Toad. Look you. at that! Three points right out of there. Now, for. Now, there were four options here, and actually two were correct. So I'm going to read the other three and four an extra point. Tell me what which one is the other correct one. Okay. Did he also um, was an old soundbite of his voice used in a 1986 animated feature film, The Great Mouse Detective? Did he voice the magic mirror in a 1937 animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Or did he appear in the Disney 1952 live-action film, the story of Robin Hood and his Merry Men. Hmm. So, Great Mouse Detective, the you said the Mirror or Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm thinking, given his 
history as being Sherlock Holmes. I'm thinking I'm going to go with the Great Mouse Detective because that would be a great throwback to him. And you were right. That is correct. So look at that. Four points. It's right out wow. of the gate here. Got okay. It. Good job there. Okay. Craig, over to you for July 22nd. This one-time teen idol was born on July 22nd, 1943. A Disney fan, he built a one-fifth scale model of Disneyland's Main Street USA in his backyard. Who is it? Oh, uh, multiple choice, please. Okay, was it A, Davy Jones of the Monkees? B, Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits? C, Bobby Sherman? Or D, Kurt Russell? Um, ugh, uh, a one-time teen idol. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to take a wild guess on this one, and I'm going to say be the Herman's Hermits guy. Oh, Peter Noon? Yeah. So, yeah, that is incorrect. So, okay, so good guess. So, so over to you, Willis. Was it Davy Jones of the Monkees, Bobby Sherman, or Kurt Russell who built a one-fifth scale model of Disneyland's Main Street USA in his backyard? Hmm. Well, I mean, I know Kurt Russell, you know, did a lot with Disney, you know, back, you know, so, but I don't, I've never heard of him talking about that. Granted, I've never heard anyone talk about this. Um, (laughs) And and with Davy Jones being, you know, because I think he's British, so, hmm, I don't know, that doesn't strike me as something that would have happened, but I could be wrong. Um, I'm going to go with Bobby Sherman. Okay. Yeah, singer-actor Bobby Sherman. That's right. He was a big teen idol in the late 60s and early 70s. And he was a big Disney fan during the 1970s. He did build that model, which in the 70s, that was like a big newsworthy thing because – you know, people just didn't do that kind of stuff. And he performed at the Disney MGM Studios as part of the Teen Idols Tour in December 1998. And if you're all wondering, during the um, 1990s, he became a, an EMT officer for the Los Angeles Police Department. So there you go, Willis. Five points. Oh. So excellent. And it's over to you now for July 23rd, Willis. So here you go. This could be a sweet day. Yeah. Okay. On July 23rd, 2003, it is reported that for the first time, Walt Disney World will run national television ads about a single attraction. What attraction is it? Mm. You said Walt Disney World, right? Or just... Correct. Walt Disney World. Um, I'm going to have to go with multiple guesses. Okay. Is it A, Mickey's PhilharMagic at the Magic Kingdom? B, Stitch's Great Escape at the Magic Kingdom? C, Journey into Imagination with Figment at Epcot? Or D, Mission Space at Epcot? Um, I mean, if people even back then were as reviled with Stitch as it now, um, I don't think that would have been it. Um, <laughs> And Journey, again, I know with the history of that, I mean, again, with I could see where they could probably try to spin things. Um, but speaking of spinning, maybe I'll go with Mission Space, because that sounds something that would maybe have happened about that time. Okay, you are correct. 
It was centered around Epcot's attraction Mission Space, which began operation on August 15th. So, okay, seven points. Willis, well, you're on a roll here. Okay, but Craig, Craig, here's your chance. Okay, for July 24th, Walt Disney Productions' 25th animated feature debuted on July 24th, 1985. What is the name of the film? Eighty-five. Nineteen eighty-five. July twenty-fourth, nineteen eighty-five. Twenty-fifth animated feature. Um. Okay. I'm. I've got to make up ground. And maybe I'm crazy. I thought that when we went, when we just did the Basil Rathbone question, we mentioned that. Great Mouse Detective was in 86, and I believe the movie before that was The Black Cauldron. And I don't think they were releasing multiple movies in the same year. So I'm going to go with, if I heard correctly, I'm going to go with Black Cauldron. Basil Rathbone would be very proud of you. That was good sleuthing. Yes, it was The Black Cauldron for three points. So it was made at a cost of over $25 million. It's the first Disney animated film to get a PG rating and the first one to ever use 3D graphics. So, okay, good job there. Okay, yes. <laughs> seven to three. Willis, back over to you, July 25th. The Ernest S. Marsh locomotive, engine number four, takes its first inaugural run around Disneyland on July 25th, 1959. Who was the engineer for this inaugural run? Ooh, 1959. Hmm. I mean, there are so many good choices. I'm going to have to go with the multiple choice here. So was it A, Roger E. Brogy, Walt's first Imagineer and head of the studio machine shop that restored the locomotive? B, train enthusiast and Disney animator Ward Kimball? C, Disneyland's chief engineer, Walt Disney? D, Ernest S. Marsh himself, at the time the president of the Santa Fe Railroad? So who was that fourth person? Ernest S. Marsh himself, at the time the president of the Santa Fe Railroad. Um, since I'm a couple points up, I'm going to have one taken away. All right. Let's take away train enthusiast and Disney animator Ward Kimball. That's B. Okay. Hmm. So 1959. Um, I'm going to go with a Roger Bogey. Roger Bogey. Okay. Yeah. That, that is incorrect. Darn it. So, Craig, you have a 50-50 chance here. Who who took the Ernest S. Marsh on its inaugural run? Was it Walt Disney or Ernest S. Marsh? Just like the last train question, I'm going to have to just default to Walt Disney. You know, that's, oh, that's you're usually safe when you do that. That is correct. So, um, <laughs> Walt Disney, it, it hands of the chief engineer, that train went for its inaugural yeah. run. So okay. <laughs> this is like my uh, the opposite when it's anything Pixar related. I just right. say Buzz Lightyear immediately. So with trains <laughs> now, I'm just going to say Walt. 
just think of that way. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Okay. And Craig, it's over to you. It's seven to four. Willis, but Craig, you have a chance of tying here. Okay. okay. Who did Walt Disney appear with on the cover of Look Magazine on July 26th, 1955? I'll go with multiple choice. Was it A, Roy Disney, B, Fess Parker, C, Mickey Mouse, D, The Mouseketeers? Um, this is rough. Um, am I, I was going to just do a bold guess and saying Mickey right away. Um, but then another... I got thrown off by another one in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Fess Parker. You are correct. Walt Disney and actor Fess Parker dressed as Davy Crockett appeared on the cover of Look Magazine. They were right there in the middle of Davy Crockett Mania. Yeah, that's so. the only thing that was leading me towards that is always it um in the Back to the Future, the first one where they're going past the record shop and it has uh, has Davy Crockett on there. So since that's <laughs> 1955. It's like, oh, that could be right. There you go. You were right. Excellent. So, okay, seven to six. See, that's how you're our movie guy. Make all these connections. Okay, so Willis, over to you. You're only ahead by one point now. Yeah, I know. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for July 27th, the Disney short In the Bag, featuring Humphrey the Bear and Ranger Audubon J. Woodlore, was released on July 27th, 1956. In how many short features did these characters appear together? These are. Uh, I love these two characters. I've honestly never heard of them, so I'm going to have to go with your the multiple choices. Okay, you're not going to like them, is it? A, 5. <laughs> A, 5. B, 2. C, 4. D, 1. How often did Humphrey the Bear and Ranger Audubon J. Woodlore appear together in, Dis in their own Disney shorts? In their own Disney shorts. Uh, I mean, I know you just sort of made a comment about you like these characters so that lend me to believe that it happened they were at least in more than one thing and whether they were in their own short more than once hmm, that's a question um, I'm going to go with I'm just going to guess and go with B two. that was a very good guess because <laughs> it is two um, it, was it was the second of only two cartoons to headline these characters, uh, Humphrey and Ranger Woodlore, but they did appear in a number of Donald Duck shorts. And um, oh. in, in the Bag is also one of the only of a few Cinemascope cartoon shorts to be produced by Walt Disney. So, um, great job there. So, nine to six. Okay. And you see Humphrey the Bear, I think, over at Wilderness Lodge. Yes. Walt Disney World. You'll see him there. Doing so. the Humphrey Hop. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's right. Okay. Which was in the bag. That was in that short. Humphrey <laughs> Hop. So. Okay, Craig, we have a trivia question for you. Um, which attraction was, I guess you'd say, flight tested by United States astronauts and Russian cosmonauts? 
Which Disney attraction was flight tested by United States astronauts and Russian cosmonauts? Um, there's, see, uh, I'm, I'm just going to, it's been a recurring, uh, answer and part of this at that time, it would make sense for mission space since apparently mission space opened at this point. So I'm going to say mission space. That is incorrect. Oh, that's a twist. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, so, and it's not Walt Disney either. So, okay, um, Willis, for a point, over to you. Can you get into double digits here? What attraction was flight tested by United States astronauts and Russian cosmonauts? Was it Test Track, Space Mountain, or Spaceship Earth? Hmm, and you didn't say what year, did you? I did not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why it made sense to say mission space. Um, hmm. Because I'm, because I remember I've watched some, like the rewatched the opening ceremonies of Space Mountain at Walt Disney World, and I don't again remember them seeing like U.S. astronauts, but no, you know, cos- cosmonauts. Um, Spaceship Earth. Remember, I don't, I don't see anything about opening. Right, I understand that. I understand that. Um, huh. I'm going to go with sort of an odd one and do Spaceship Earth. Okay, that, that would be odd, but it's incorrect. Remember <laughs> in the early 1970s, we had the Apollo-Soyuz joint mission? So, um, representatives of NASA and the Soviet Academy of Sciences met to discuss that joint space venture. And afterwards, the U.S. astronauts visited Moscow. The Soviet cosmonauts visited the Johnson Space Center in Florida. During their stay, both groups visited the Magic Kingdom and gave its newest attraction, Space Mountain, a test flight. Okay, so, that, that makes sense. And yeah, once you said... The you know it was in the seventies that made total it would definitely wouldn't have been test track or spaceship Earth so, so <laughs> well not even test track but I, if I said early nineteen seventies it really would have limited it <laughs> so, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's why I didn't say it so great job there though Willis wow so um nice. so you have you have you have to come back next week to break the tie here yeah definitely okay, great so we'll see you then okay have a good week. Well, next week, we continue our conversation with Emil with a look at how the Tokyo Disneyland Resort is celebrating its 35th anniversary and what's in that resort's future, which sounds very exciting to me. If you're interested in attending the next D23 Expo in Anaheim from August 23rd to 25th, 2019, uh, just here's a little reminder that early bird tickets for D23 members go on sale August 23rd, 2018. Uh, Northern California Dizzers, you might be interested in attending MouseCon on Sunday, November 4th, 2018. This is a nor is this is Northern California's Disneyana convention, and I I didn't wasn't able to go to last year's because I had a conflict, but I've been to the others, and. Uh, 
this year it's going to be back at the Crown Plaza in, in Concord, California. Um, tickets are on sale now. It's $10 for adults, $5 for children, 8 to 14. Uh, this is a steal because it's very similar to other uh, Disney conventions. There are a number of halls where there are presentations from people in the Disney community, uh, from artists to writers to actors, um, voice artists. Uh, you, you just never know who's going to be there. Um, we, we will have a, a link to their site in our show notes. There's a vendor floor. Um, they have a, a little sort of a museum um, display every year, you know, that kind of thing. But um, if you're in Northern California, this is well worth attending. That sounds cool. Um, yeah, it is. Oh, it definitely is. It's a lot of fun. Oh, they have a costume contest. Oh, my gosh. Somebody came one year dressed as Big Thunder Mountain Railway with with running cars, with oh. running railroad trains on it. I wonder if it was, it was the same girl that came to D23 with that on, too. I, I, I'm sure it was. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. But I saw... Excuse me, I saw it at MouseCon first. Oh, very. <laughs> yeah. But no, there are some amazing, amazing things. There was a working R2-D2 that somebody had built... Um, you very know, nice. so yeah, yeah they, there's a, usually a decent Star Wars uh, presence from, you know, the uh, the I don't know what to, what do they call them? It, it's they're they're the five oh first. Yeah, 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 yeah. They there's they have a, a presence up in Northern California, so they'll be there usually. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, and of course, Craig and I will be at D23's Destination D celebrating Mickey Mouse on November 17th and 18th, 2018 yes. at Walt Disney World's Contemporary Resort. It is sold out, but if you want to find out more information about it, we'll have links to all of these things in our show notes, and maybe we'll see you there. So, yeah. so, so Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you on the Diz Unplugged? Uh, of course, you can find me Tuesdays on the Walt Disney World edition, Thursdays on the Universal edition, uh, Wednesdays on the Best and Worst, and uh, random days on the Diz Daily Fix, and then always on Twitter and Instagram at TellTheClashter. What about you, Michael? Well, you can always send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Instagram, Michael Bowling that is. And of course, as already mentioned, you can connect with me and Craig on our Connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disneyunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Mm-hmm.